Hello, and welcome back to The Full Life and our continuing conversation on race in America and in our Christian faith. I want to say from the get-go again that no one on the panel believes that every white person is a racist or every black person is a criminal or every cop is bad. But as the protests continue into the third and fourth week, it's easy to feel fatigue or frustration and want to retreat back into our respective tribes. But we're not going to do that on this show. We're going to lean in, we're going to stay uncomfortable, and we're going to stay in that gray because that's where the real kingdom building begins. Jesus did it, and we're going to do it here. I'm going to read a scripture to start us off. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And that's Galatians 6, 9. And with that, let's start doing the work with our panel from the, the Cathedral Church in New Jersey. Bishop Donald Hilliard is joining us again. I want to say hello and welcome back. Hey. Good to be back. Thank you again. It's my honor. Oh, it's no, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. And of course, you know, I'm just going to name them, uh, uh, name them real quick so we can get in our discussion. But our regular panelists, Carolyn, Jenny and Hank are here as well, as you can see. Happy. Let's, let, hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm getting into it. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, I want to get right into it. And I guess the first question is, as you go out there to, to, uh, fight for justice, as God does command us to do, as we talked about in Micah last week. How do you equip your mind as a Christian to go out there and fight for justice, but keep your mind focused also on the word and things of God? And I'll start with Bishop. Well, I think I was just making a note when you said um, it's so easy to retreat back into uh, our own tribes. And um the scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was also in uh, Christ Jesus. And he took upon himself the uh, nature of a servant, became obedient, even the death, his death on the cross, whereby God highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Um, what I want to say, too, is our, our understanding as a Christian and with a renewed mind means that we want all things renewed. We want justice renewed. We want mm. peace renewed. We want unity renewed. But renewed does not mean hiding your head in the sand um, like so many people believe that that's what we should do as Christians, is acting like there's nothing going on. Mm. Um, I think for me, it, it, it means pausing uh, for many moments of active prayer, many moments of quiet reflection, Sometimes you have to turn the television off. Yeah. You have to disconnect um, because if you don't, it can leave you bitter. And this is what, um, as I was saying before we went on live, the, the, we're fighting not only um, those of us are, that are on the front lines of this, um, people of color, particularly those of us who have experienced everything that we see, you know, I've been stopped, you know, no, all that kind of stuff. It's it's hard not to become exhausted. Mm. And with that exhaustion can come bitterness. And with that bitterness can become a disconnectedness. And then you begin to paint everybody with big, broad strokes of racial red. You know, everybody's a racist and everybody is not. But it is very challenging 
to be in this seat, in this space, in this time, and not to feel um, real unrest. And so I would say what to keep your mind at, at, you know, at perfect peace. Uh, we've got to stay in God's word. We've got to be around people that um, are really concerned about this issue because it cannot be glossed over. Right. And I cannot claim to know Christ and um, act like what's happening is not happening. Hank, did you have a perspective on this as well? Yeah, I think mostly what the bishop said, I think one of the things that I am consistently humbled by is how much Jesus was intentional in spending time with God. Um, I was, mm. I preached this morning on um, the passage, uh, what's well, a scandalous passage in the sense that some early manuscripts didn't have it. Um, it's the passage that traditionally we call it the woman caught in adultery, but I found one scholar that says the men caught in hypo hypocrisy. So I like that better. Um, but but in, in John 8, um, even in John 7, Jesus is going through it. I mean, he starts off with his own brothers um, not believing in him and be like, well, if you're really the Messiah, go show yourself. You know, he goes into the temple um, almost hidden. Right. Um, in disguise, almost. Right. Starts teaching. Um, and then something seems to happen. He's dealing with all this rejection, but something seems to happen, which I think is why that story is placed in that section. I think this is um, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right. And everyone says, what is it? Why does one straw break the camel's back? And I think it relates to some of what we're talking about in the national conversation because there's already a million straws weighing the camel down, you know? So that last straw might be George Floyd for someone, right? Um, but then in John 8, Jesus has some of his harshest things, you know? Like, you need to believe in me or you will die. You know, I am greater than Abraham. You do not belong to Abraham. You either look like me and believe in my father or you look like your father, the devil, right? Like, there's very harsh things, really. Um, but what's fascinating about that situation, like so many other is it begins with Jesus um, ascending to the Mount of Olives, right? So there's so many times in scripture, he's intentional about that time with God. So I think one way to keep your eye, your eyes right um, or your mind right is to, to spend time with God and make it part of, like, it should be our normal um, work. It should be our normal day-to-day um, -day in growing our faith. You know, you can't necessarily have a relationship with someone you never talk to or you never listen to. Uh, you can't have a relationship with someone who you're not in constant communication with, right? Or any communication with. Um, and it's not a good relationship if one side's dictating or if God's in a need to know. So for me, I think that intentionality of spending time with God is really, really helpful. Um, and then also, though, I think the other thing, too, is I think two quick things. Self-care. Whatever you need to do to take self-care is a must. You know, this is exhausting. This is a long road. This is a fight. Um, but whatever gives you energy, make that your Sabbath and, and, and map that into your schedule. You know, I have so many people who are like, oh, I really like to just go and sit by the park and relax. I'll do that next month. It's like, no, nah, do that every week. Put that in the schedule every single week and do it, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I would say self-care is probably the next thing. And the last thing I would say, kind of we're communal people. Um, and this is kind of a long term, long standing thing, but find people in your life, you know, find people in your life who love you, find people in your life you trust, find people in your life who give you life, you know, that, that if we're going to be leaders that are being poured out, we have to be very mindful that people are pouring into us, you know, so I, I think that's the third one, right? So spend time with God, spend time with community and do self-care. And then I'm going to go to us, us white folk over here and ask, so I uh, 
in our in our view of how the as it continues, how do we not retreat and stay arm in arm with our brothers and sisters? Because I think, uh, and I certainly have heard it. You know, people are like, okay, I was on it last week, and now I'm not quite as you know on it this week. And I know there's a lot of reasons for that, and we'll get into some of those too. But uh, I guess I'll start with Jenny and say, you know, how do we, you know, keep our mind focused on what God's doing here? Well, I think the first is to avoid offense. Um, mm. Jesus said when the disciples, I believe it was John, um, saw somebody prophesying, casting out, or casting out demons in his name, John said, Lord, he doesn't walk with us. Should we, you know, we rebuked him. We rebuked him because he, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, walk with us. And Jesus said, listen, don't rebuke him. If he's not against us, he's for us. And I think that's a really important stance we all need to take. I think we were all feeling a little bit like we were all against everyone. The enemy loves to divide us through offense. It is one of his key things. I love John Bevere's teaching on the bait of Satan. And that was yes. a big thing for me last week because the bait of Satan is, is just, I mean, I'm trying to look up a quote here. That's why I'm looking down at my phone. But the bait of Satan is to get us offended, to get us offended, to get us divided because it puts us in two different camps. You're that way. I'm this way. And then all of a sudden people that love each other, that loved each other before are starting to feel this way about one another. Family members turning on one another another, you know, we, you know, you're, you're defund the police and this family member, well, I'm not defund the police. And all of a sudden you just don't even want to talk anymore. And that is where the problem lies. And so this program I did yesterday, you know, I brought up some really difficult things and I, I asked them in advance, can I ask these things because, you know, I'm representing other people so that we can get to some truth. Because the problem is if I just get offended and get mad and I get up and I walk away from the table, we're done. But if we get up and walk away, then we hold on to that offense. We carry it with us the next day. You know, and we also know the scripture tells us to not let the sun go down on your wrath. If you understand the Hebrew culture, it means when the sun goes down, a new day begins. Don't start your day with wrath. Don't start your day upset. Don't start your day angry. Start your day saying, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to choose that more are for me than are against me. I'm going to look at people and assume they are with me now when they give me the opposite evidence, then we'll talk about it. But I think that assumption, assuming the best in people is a hard thing to do. I think it's necessary. That's just me personally. I bit, tend to be a bit of a Pollyanna. Um, but I, I do, for me, I've needed that. I have needed that because every time I've talked to somebody, I have found out we have more in common ground. Yes. Um, and maybe I was thinking they were saying something they weren't saying. Maybe they were thinking I was saying something I wasn't saying. So that's been a big thing for me this week. I love yeah. When John Bevere talks about the offenses, he takes it from that scripture because I've been studying that same thing again. And he'd said, you know, they were like the, the disciples, like, we want to grow in you, Lord. We want more faith. We want more miracles. And how do we do this, Jesus? And his words were, let go of your offenses. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it hits me so hard because it's so easy in all this time. And, um, you know, just you're asking just from from our point of view, you know, it is hard for us that we are so worried, I think I said it last time about what we say, if we're saying it right, um, even this week, I mean, I think I've been called racist and I'm like, what, what did I do? <laughs> what, what part of me I'm, I'm standing for you. It's like, if you don't say it exactly right. And it's so hard not to take offense to that. Cause you're yeah. like, 
I don't know what I need to say, what I need to do. And so I love that we're having this conversation because every time we're with Bishop and we're with Hank and we, we can have it, we can realize we're not bad people. We just maybe aren't saying the, the exact right way. But, um, you know, I feel like God spoke to me this past week and he says, Carolyn, I sometimes I think we talk too much. You're so busy trying to talk. Mm-hmm. That you're not allowing the spirit to move. And I start thinking that it's something with inside me. And then that's when the danger begins to happen. Whenever I think I have the power inside me to heal anything yeah. other than my words to be words of love, I have got to represent Jesus in everything I say, everything I do. And if I'm not, God will deal with me ever so severely. But at that point, once I have done that, I feel like the Holy Spirit was telling me, Carolyn, if my people, which are called by my name, will fall down and begin to pray, um, humble themselves, repent. I mean, there's a whole bunch in there. He said, then I will heal your land. And I have to be honest. I, I called Joseph on Sunday. I had about 14 people in this room of all different color and races. And we fell on our faces together and begin to pray for the healing of this nation. Wow. And healing. God would bring us back together because this is my feeling. I think the enemy is trying to make us think that we are the enemy with each other. But the truth is it's getting us distracted away from the enemy that we really need Amen. to be fighting. And yeah. we are stronger together. I will support my brothers and sister. I will be there for them. What happened is wrong. Um, we can't scream that from a mountaintop high enough and we will not leave you. I think that's the biggest thing that you need to hear from us today. We are not going to leave you. We are speaking healing. We are speaking hope. We're speaking restoration because that's who Jesus is. We're all Christ followers. So I I get excited about these confirmations. I, I do. But I also want to talk about something you all said was that feeling of I'm a racist, the white people being everyone's a racist. And at the same time, we have to acknowledge that we may feel fatigued for being called a racist for three weeks. But from the black person's perspective, Hank Bishop, you know, how long have you been called things? How long have you been suffering? So I think we have to examine this from both sides of that. And so so I'll I'll talk to the bishop, I'll talk to the bishop there first and saying. You know, how do how do we combat those things? Yeah. Well, Carolyn, um, I'll be glad when this coronavirus thing is over, because every time I call for a sneeze, that's the first thing I start thinking. <laughs> 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 you know, we all do it. We all do it. I'm like buying healing to myself in Jesus name. Yeah. When she talked about, you know, um, what can I do? What can we and we and she said they were all racist in that room and we were all praying um, and she said, um, I claim that we can be healed and we can be healed. Now I'm going to play advocate here. Um, if we can be healed, then I hear black lives matter movement saying, if you want us to be healed, then walk together with us. Mm-hmm. That's a very deep thing. I just said, because it is easier to say we can be healed. And it is even easier to pray. And God knows as a spiritual believer, uh, in the words of Alfred Lord Tennyson, more things are wrought by prayer than this world could ever dream. Prayer changes things and prayer changes people. But I hear those young people chanting on Saturday, if it matters to you, walk with us 
nonviolently. I'm thinking back on Dr. King and the you know march from Selma, the the, the the march to Selma, where they were marching peaceably, and all of a sudden Bull Connor had his uh, policemen were beating women to the ground, hosing people down, releasing dogs, and they were just marching. But then they came back. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that picture, you see nuns and priests and mm-hmm. rabbis and mm-hmm. Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox and white people and black people and, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of people. And they were locked arms in arm and they were all walking. If you look at the I Have a Dream uh, speech and the March on Washington, they were mm-hmm. all there and they were all together holding signs. And there's a woman named Viola Louisa, I believe, I may be pronouncing it wrong, but she was killed because the Klan saw her bringing some African-American marchers back to their home and um, they they killed them all. Um, and by the way, this week um, down in uh, New Orleans or somewhere down there, there were two cross burnings. Um, mm. There were two cross burnings and there was a lynching of a black woman in South Africa. There were two cross burnings um uh in in not too far from where you know I, not north carolina or new orleans but there were mm. two cross burnings and i just said before we came on the air of the young man uh a young white brother who's jenny your pastor was dewey fridell for a while right mm-hmm. dewey yeah. fridell passed away and his son isaac um and and dewey's widow there and and dewey's daughter and they've got three beautiful children they're pastoring in Asbury Park. Well, Dewey had a Black Lives sign, Black Lives Matter sign, you know, in front of his house. Maybe not the best thing to do, but he was trying to make a statement, mm-hmm. um, Black Lives Matter. And his neighbors took it upon themselves to tear down the sign off of his front yard and throw it in the woods. Well, the next day, and he had a different another sign up. This time, they cut off the head of a deer. No. They cut the head of a deer off and threw the dead the dead the, the deer's head on his front lawn and took the blood blood of the deer and um what's Dewey's wife's name? What is her name? Uh, Rhonda. 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 They Rhonda. took the blood and 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 put it on uh Rhonda's bedroom window was smeared with deer's blood and oh. and the body of the deer was found somewhere. This is this kind of foolishness that mm. angers people of color and then we leave these kind of things and it make you know and and um as someone said to me uh they say see white folk gonna be white folk i said not not so fast because they were just so enraged but we keep we keep this is this is our existence one every other day a black person in this country is accosted uh innocently by police who mean them no good and so every black parent has to have this talk not just with our sons, but with our daughters. When you're going somewhere, let us know where you're going. Same talk most parents have, but make sure we have a phone number that I can reach you. Uh, I mean, you're expected to be home in an hour because your mind immediately, there was a young man helping me um, last night uh, right here in this library in my home, in my office. I needed some books shifted around. And um, and he said to me, Bishop, you know, just calm down. But he said, I was, I'm late because the police stopped me. I said, well, what did you do? He said, I was driving to your home. And um, the police said, well, you were you were speeding. You were going 100 miles an hour. He said, sir, I, I was going 40 miles an hour. But I, I'm, and he said, I want you to know And he's getting his license. His name is Marcus. He, and, and, and Marcus said, I begin to shake like a leaf. 
And I told the policeman, I said, I want you to forgive me, sir, but I'm shaking like a leaf because I'm scared to death. Hmm. He couldn't even get his license because he was scared to death. This is what we live through. And then I, I think I said this before we came on the air that um, in Franklinton, New Jersey, South Jersey, the, uh, there was a pro peaceful protest, Black Lives Matter, driving through a town with signs of, and they were just, you know, black, slowly. And a group of white brothers, young, thought it was funny the way Floyd died. And so they put their knee, they had one of their friends, also white, on the uh, on the driveway. And another brother who was also white had his knee on his neck, simulating George Floyd's murder. This is in New Jersey in the United States of America. And the man was murdered May 25th. And uh, it, 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 this is, I think it's May 25th. This is the, this is the insanity. So it just to give you some perspective, but God can, God can intervene. And I will not allow this hatred and this foolishness and these animalistic, brutal, off-centered, crazed policemen i got cousins that are chief of police so i'm not i'm not anti-police but but these 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 crazed people have to be called out for what it is yeah. something's wrong with yeah them. well i think that's what i will be honest with you i think it's what a lot of white people want is that they feel like we're being lumped in with the crazy horrible people that do these acts and that's that in all honesty you even saying that to say these are crazy people i'm i'm, I'm telling you i'm not can't speak for everybody but i've heard this a lot like i'm so tired of being lumped in i am not that cop i didn't do that and you know hearing that is super important i think that's going to help with our unity that's going to help keep us together is you know for an acknowledgement that of course we know you're not that cop of course we know that you're not that you don't think that way. But I think there are some that really believe, like I know, Carolyn, you experienced where somebody said, no, everybody in this country is racist. That's just the way it is, that this country is that way. And that's that's really is going to be a very big uh, thing that I think will block healing for us in this country. If I could throw the word out, pause right in there. If I could throw pause, that's the only thing pause. I want to say. Is when Jenny, when you, and Carolyn, when you hear that, pause and shift your sense, uh, your center into their experience. Pause mm -hmm. for a moment and understand how it's kind of like after this, after, after uh he mm. called me and he talked to me, I said, Phyllis, to my wife, I'm like, well, in the words of my cousin, white folk on be white folk. That's a black saying that black, you know, black folk, yeah. this is this is you know behind closed doors talk. Well, sir, well, sir, white folk on be white folk, white folk gonna have something that anti-black folk so that is what comes out immediately it's not the truth right. give them a moment to That's pause fair. and collect themselves i think part of the tension point um is that we just don't have the same common language um we speak english but we all have our own experiences yes which i think our culture taps into that but we also forget that like we can say the same thing um and it can mean something very very different based on perspective, based on um, closeness, based on relationship, based on experience. So even now we're talking about racism, right? I guarantee you if we went around the circle and asked what is racism, we'd have five different um, explanations of it. Um, so I'm just going to speak in generalities. I think for most white people, 
when they think about racism, they think about the Ku Klux Klan. They think about the the quote unquote crazies that we're talking about. But racism is, you know, privilege, but it's also power. Um, and it's also what you get. You know, it's not just what you don't get, you know, and I, I think that's tricky for a lot of people to understand. Right. Like, so, for example, it's you not being followed in a store every time, you know, it's you not going through five different schools to get education. And every first paper you write, they ask, you know, are you sure you wrote this? Because you people don't talk like that. You know, it's you not um, having to preach a sermon and come down and be like, wow, that was surprisingly good. You speak so well. Good for you, you know? You speak um, so well for a Black person. Yeah, you speak so well for a Black you person. You speak so right? well for a Black person. Yeah, so so I think that, like, when we talk There's about, really people... I, 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 I'm sorry, oh. I don't mean to be my name. There's really people that would say that oh, to you. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Speak so well into I literally... I, I can't even fathom that. Like, or, or yeah. say, you're one of the good ones. I, you're one of the... I don't consider you Black. You're exactly. One of the good ones. Yep. Yeah. So I think that like, so it's funny, right? I didn't so, say that. I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> Well, but, but at the same time, though, I think that like, it's important for us to realize that racism isn't just Ku Klux Klan, right? Racism is um, the system of, so when people say all white people are racist, it's not a personal thing. I think one of the differences between black and white that I found is that white people get the privilege of being individuals Black people get the curse of being the collective. And what I mean by that is you get to think individually. You know, like you get to be Jenny, you get to be Carolyn, you get to be Joseph. Um, we get to be the collective always. You know, we not only have to speak for all of us, but we represent all of us at the same time. So like when we, when you hear someone say every white person's racist, what they're talking about is this system. And there, there have been things in place for 400 years that have given white people advantages that black people don't have. You know, you can just Google some of it, you know, look at the constitution, yeah. look at the um, three-fifths compromise, look at the GI bill and how we fleshed it out. Look at what happened after reconstruction. Look at redlining, if you want to bring it to the 20th century. Look at the fact that in 2020, well, I guess the, the last um, one that they released was actually from 2016, the average white family has 11 times, 11.5 times more wealth than the average black family. And it's not because black people didn't work hard, right? Like black people literally built this country for free. So don't give me they don't work hard, right? Um, it's because we put in place policies that negatively affected black people and literally kept black people from accruing wealth. Like, so when they say everyone's racist, it's not just about your personal actions. It's about you profiting from a system that helps you, but doesn't help me. So that's kind of, and that's what I mean by like the individual thing is that most white people, when they hear that, they're taking that personally. And it's like, no, 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 no. I might love you, but you're still profiting from the system. Uh, one of my brothers explained it this way. He's like, if you have kids, this is the equivalent of like having three kids, right? One kid has a pencil, the other kid steals the pencil, and the third kid's playing with the pencil and wouldn't give it back to the first one. And the one who's playing with the pencil is like, well, I didn't steal it. You know, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't, I wasn't racist. You know, I didn't kill those people, but you still have the pencil. You but still have the right, Does it mean that that's what happened for you? Cause like my husband, Brian lost a scholarship in school because yeah. he was white. Oh, His scholarship was taken from him. They're like, I'm sorry, you're white. Yeah. We have to give this to an African-American. Okay. We have to take it. It was taken from him. He never yeah. got to, he never got to graduate because his parents couldn't pay for it. So yeah. that was stripped from him. Like he was, he got accepted. He did well mm -hmm. and he couldn't do have college because he didn't have the money for it. And I think there's a perception that just because you're white, 
every door just opens wide open for you. Well, yeah, no, it's, and it's that's definitely and that's his experience. And, and that's what I'm not. trying to, to help us differentiate between yeah, the yeah. personal and the collective, right? Right. So right. that's true, right? Brian went through that, right? But here's the thing: when you look at the collective, for example, um, let's talk about redlining really, really quickly, right? Literally, the suburbs was created for white flight, and in the guy who created suburbs actually from Pennsylvania, and literally they built these places and. They put line in the contracts, in the leases that said no blacks allowed. And if you moved in, they moved you out. And this isn't something, I mean, just pick a city, Chicago, you know. Just I'm just curious, red, when was that? It was just, just for reference, what day? Oh, redlining, every state across America. It was no, in no, what 50, years? Like, I'm just curious. I'm saying 50s and 60s, probably when. Okay. Oh, go ahead, redlining. It started in the 50s. Yeah, redlining 50s and was, 60s, yeah. But but it continued. It continued, yeah. Redlining. It, okay. it went from the mid 50s and it, it was supposed to stop in 65 when President Johnson signed mm -hmm. the voter rights and the, the housing know, the act in school and, and all yeah. of that. It was legally, it was supposed to stop that, you know, they stopped redlining. And then parents like mine moved out of the inner city of East Orange and moved to a white suburban Scotch Plains. But we were redlined to this side of Terrell Road. And mm -hmm. the other people were, you know, and, and the, each time a black family moved in, a white family moved out. Opening this, this occurred over the entire country. Well, even when it got to my generation, it may not have been in writing anymore, but we, we certainly knew. And I had a friend who was white and he called me crying because his lease in 2004 still said no blacks allowed. You know, so it's 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 one of those things, and oh, so I think it's important. That would be illegal, and I just, I'm really right. struggling with this because I would think that would be illegal. That's some of the thing we're talking about the systemic stuff, right? Like, like I did want to ask a question, Hank, because for us white people, you made a statement that there is things that are working against you all still to this day. I think it would be helpful for us. We need to hear what those things are because we we just don't know what they are. I mean, to us, you know, we had the civil rights movement. We we felt like did they work? Did they not work? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we see I mean, we need to know the conversation whether if it's right or wrong. We just need to hear what you're thinking. Yeah. Well, I would say one thing that's really, really helpful is just committing to awareness. You know, mm -hmm. a, a book I would recommend every white person read reads if they're serious about some of this stuff is a yeah. lady by the name of Robin DiAngelo. She has a book called White Fragility. She's not writing from uh, a necessarily a Christian perspective. She's writing from someone who studied this stuff. And I think her real gift is to help white people see, um, to take it out of the individual and to see how systemically um, some of these things that are in place. Um, the other place is to just look at, you know, anything, anything that you see that you think is important. Look at who's in media. Look at who is in um, politics. Look at look at who's in power making decisions. Um, another helpful thing I think every white person should do is there's a lady, um, Peggy McIntosh, who is amazing. And in 1989, she had an article called The Invisible Knapsack of Privilege. Um, I think it's available everywhere online um, and it's free usually. And what she does is she basically will give you a bunch of questions that you would answer um, that helps you show that like, oh, maybe, you know, I did definitely have no one saying you didn't have it hard or you didn't work, but it helps you unpack and see some of these things that you may take for granted um, that, you know, that other people didn't, you know, most, for example, most black people that I know 
um, didn't have necessarily a black teacher till maybe high school or college. You know, that's just something you might not think about. You know, it's just like, I remember one, my one friend said their first black teacher was in college. And then I had to stop and do some work and be like, oh, I have never even thought about that before. So anyway, so I would say that that's some of the work that you can do. I would say read White Fragility. And I think um, Peggy McIntosh, that Invisible Knapsack of Privilege, it really helps you see, because I think that's the thing. A lot of people are making this like, this is about me and I'm not this way. But you have to be able to think about this systemically. You know, So if you want to look at it biblically, what does God in the Old Testament chide people for? Like, what did the prophet speak against? Literally taking advantage of the poor, being rich off the poor, and militarism, right? Like, that's America, guys. Like, we have to be careful and not just, like, just look at the Old Testament and be like, oh, it's not in, in vogue anymore, right? Like, literally, we have a country where we discovered a civilization that was here and we pushed them out, right? And then we built on free labor, there's no way we can say that God is okay with that. And I think that's something we have to wrestle with. Now, do I will you think so today we're still doing that. Do you think today that we're still building on? I mean, I'm just trying to get real. No, I think at. today, I think today it's like the residue of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I think that's what we're dealing with, you know? So for example, the Bishop talked about, you know, his interactions with police, you know, for example, why a lot of people, a lot of black people are behind this abolished police is not because they say, let's get rid of police. Like what they want is one, where's the money going? And can we actually get accountability on the money? Which if you're fiscal conservative, you should be on that team quickly, you know? But then the other thing they're saying is like, Where's the accountability? You know, where's the accountability? Like, I think there's a lot of people who just right. don't realize, like, that's what we're asking for. Like, we keep seeing these people getting killed on camera and 99% of people are getting off. You know, where's the accountability? So a lot of people end up going to their default political position. But if you look at a lot of the defund movements, that's what they're asking for. Fiscal conservatism in that sense, like where's the money going? How's it being spent? And why is so much going here, but not on education, on healthcare, on the parks? But then also, how can we get accountability? Can I, think I just throw this out? I think, I think what, I don't, I don't know, Joseph and Jenny and Carolyn, if you realize just how, uh, I'm gonna use a scary word, revolutionary, because this, what, what is happening on this, this program here, it, this is what needs to happen this mm. this platform, first of all, these programs that you have, you need you need more exposure. You need this needs to be out more. Like you're, I saw the, you need something. You need something that's going to blow this. You need this to be blown up because this needs. I think the word that the young people use go viral. This, that's this right. conversation and last week's conversation, it, it, because you can clearly see that this matters. So mm -hmm. sitting down and, and having a meal with everybody in, in this forum would, would just be wonderful. But because I don't have to have in the back of my mind, are these white folk or are they white folk? Uh-huh. And there's a difference. <laughs> no, are no, that's fair. Folk? Are these white folk or are they white folk? Because the white folk in our history, and again, I'm, I'm 63. I'll be 63 next week. In our history, um, there have been white folk. And they've been white folk, and the um, uh, our experience with with the wrong white folk has harmed us terribly. I want to add to your list anything that you can grab by a young man by the name of Tanahisi Coates. Tanahisi Coates gives you a different perspective.
It's important to do that. But it, I know there's a question in here about what are specific examples. Um, I would say pick, you know, pick an industry and I can give you an example, right? Like, but I, I mean, think that's what we need to hear. Like, I think yeah, what we I mean, need to hear is specific, not like, oh, we feel, you know, people just look at us different. Like you, you've mentioned oh, being looked at, you know, in the grocery store or being pulled yeah, I mean, over for, you know, it helps. Yeah, like, yeah, I would say, I mean, if if I'm just gonna go by my personal experiences, like, I mean, I remember like the grocery store thing happens all the time, you know, in the sense of like, it's the elevator thing. You know, I've seen people, I walk up to an elevator, they look at me and turn the other way. Um, I have been at a grocery store. One of my favorite stories is um, I was actually shopping for the church, right? Um, I was cooking a big meal for about 150 people. So it's a church thing, not even personal. I literally have um, my church credit card out and I forgot one thing. So I go back to the corner and literally the lady is reaching um, for like milk or something. Right. And like I am with my back turned and I turned around and I was just like, uh, oh, excuse me. You know, that's all I said. And right away, as soon as she said, excuse me, like her pocketbook, which wasn't even within my hands reach, like it was on the other side of her, she reached and grabbed it and clutched it close. And I was like, first of all, like we're in the middle of a supermarket. Like I would have to like knock you out to reach across you. Second of all, there's a baby in the car. Like, like how much do you think, you know? Um, so yeah, so that stuff happens. Police is a fun tension for me because um, I joke that every two to three years, I get a driving while black ticket. Um, some of my highlighted ones have been, I slipped on ice one time um, in the middle of nowhere. My insurance guy says, you got to call the police. I was like, mm, I feel like you should make the call. And he's like, no, 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 you got to call the police. So I waited for an hour. Um, I Again, I slipped on black ice. I was facing oncoming traffic. So what I thought you were supposed to do is pull your car off the side of the road, which is what I did because I didn't want to face oncoming traffic in ice, you know, um, icy road. And I waited for an hour. It was a nice family who literally were like, hey, do you need milk or cookies? I was like, what the hell? we're good, you know? Um, cop shows up an hour later and proceeds to write me up and said I fled the scene because I didn't leave my car on the road, right? And this is literally, my car was, I took pictures. Like it was literally six feet from where I was. I just didn't want to be facing oncoming traffic and ice, right? Um, housing is another one. I told the story about my friend in 2004 um, but when we were buying our first house, you know, I remember like I'm white, I'm black, my wife's white. I remember the lady we we're talking to, right? Like when I talked to her, she literally, I, I felt like she would give me a different story, right? And my wife would call and be like, no, we're eligible for this, 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 this. And I'm like, what is happening here? This is crazy, right? Um, and my wife, I don't know if she was like not believing me, but she, she was kind of like where you guys are. I was like, I don't know if this is really happening until what did we do? We called her with me on speaker, literally me on speaker. And my wife was like, oh my gosh, this is insane, right? And then, so so when we say like examples, there, there's there's tons. And the sad thing is like most black people I know have these examples, you know, like they all have these examples of, you know, stuff they've been through. So like I said, you pick an industry or you pick a, a, a place of life, I can probably give you an example that like either I've suffered or someone I know is suffering through now, you know? And I think it's it's not enough, to, you're right, it's not enough to just be like, oh, this happened years ago, right? There's still a lot of residue. And I think racism is really the smog in America and we've all breathed it in. So it's just figuring I mean, out what we can do with that. Right, so do you, well, I was just gonna ask him, so in all that you're saying that then, you really don't believe that you have an equal opportunity to make a success out of a business, um, I mean, yeah, and I think the numbers will. I think the numbers will back me up. 
and, and a, a few minutes back, I can't remember your exact words that you said, but you said something about that triggered in me going, we just don't have any idea. And it mm -hmm. was something about the things that are holding you back or the mm -hmm. things that are the system that's set up against you or something like that. And I'm like, we need to know so we can address, we need to be able to speak to those because the one thing that's hitting me is that this, it started out just being the whole thing was the, the cops and how wrongly. And I yeah. feel like, I think that's what's hitting all of us, the white community of, we started with that, but then it seemed like it's opened up this floodgate and we're getting hit with all this other stuff. And we're like, yeah. wait, we lost it somewhere in here. We thought that it was about this. that they were mistreating you yeah. all. Right. And, and no offense. We feel like we've missed part of the conversation. I think what happened was, is you all got the stage of the moment to speak that you felt like you were heard and it's just pouring out where I think it's finally given you that chance to be heard. And I think I for us as the white person, see what I'm trying to, I'm mm -hmm. seeking for this crucial conversation here mm -hmm. of going, okay, you're really not against me. Mm -hmm. You really love me. Cause if I'm not careful, I'm going to tell you what I, I'm thinking sometimes as a white person, I think they really don't like us. Mm -hmm. I think that they say they like me. Mm -hmm. You know, they think, oh, she's a cute little girl. But really down deep, mm -hmm. I don't like you. I don't like what you guys stand for. I don't, you know, you've treated us wrong. Mm -hmm. And and there's maybe, if I can say this, probably some rightful unforgiveness in some people's mm -hmm. heart towards us. I get that. And then you've got the white person sitting here going, but it wasn't me. I didn't mm -hmm. do anything. Mm -hmm. But in sense, we represent what was wrong in the past? Jenny and uh, Carolyn said, just give us what are the ways. It, name anything and we could put, you name any issue and we could tell you where that issue fits in with this whole thing. Any yeah. issue, any time, any day. And we can tell you this is why. And, and, and everyone doesn't articulate like we may articulate. Um, but the mm -hmm. anger is, is still there. We, we've got Christ on the inside, which helps us yes. to recognize yeah. the sinful nature of humanity and, mm -hmm. and gives us the ability to say in the midst of it all, I believe that God Almighty is going to change mm -hmm. and that he will work this out for his good and his honor and his glory. But we've got to speak out about it. Amen. Carolyn, did you have a scripture that you wanted to well, share with us? I know you got to go. I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's from Ephesians. I want to say this because um, I, I was reading it from Vody Bachman. He says, we don't have to achieve racial reconciliation because it exists. It is reality that we must walk in because it has already been accomplished in Christ. And to me, that's so beautiful. And he just, um, it was Ephesians 2. I'll just start it from um uh, let me get it up here again. Sorry. Um, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. We have hope because it already exists. We just got to walk in it. Yeah. Um, I would say a couple of things. Um, one, we have to kind of get to a biblical idea of forgiveness and redemption. Um, I think that for a lot of us, we like the idea that Jesus paid the price for our sins. And so Jesus handled it all, right? Um, but we have to understand that biblically, redemption kind of has this idea in the Hebrew of shuv, uh, which is turning the car around. You know, um, Carolyn's in Florida. I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, if you are starting out in um, California, where Jenny and Joseph are, you know, and you say, I'm heading to Florida, um, and you look and you're halfway and you're actually in Wisconsin, then you're in Ohio, then you're in Pennsylvania. It is not enough to just say, I'm sorry. You know, it's not just enough to be like, ah, oh, I'm going the wrong way and keep going that way till you end up in Pennsylvania. Right. The idea of Shuv was yes, God forgives you, but to your redemption is seen in you turning, literally turning the car around um, so that you actually end up on the right path to, to Florida, where, which is your scent. So I think when we talk about this reconciliation, um, I think one of the challenges is that in America, we've never necessarily been reconciled. Um, we live in a system that has, from the beginning, um, given people um, power and privileges based on skin color. You know, So it's always tricky. People said, I don't see skin color. And I'm like, I'm glad you don't, but America doesn't operate that way. Um, so I think for us, it's when we ask for what we can do better is to figure out where are the places that we're headed the wrong way and how can we as Christians turn the car around? Mm -hmm. I get hope in that I think God has tried. I just don't think the church has responded. You know, I love that we have a black church, but I don't know if that doesn't break God's heart. You know, I think that from the beginning before the West, the church was a multicultural entity. Yes. Um, and I think in our country, after slavery, a lot of African-Americans who had searched the scriptures or, or learned Jesus wanted to worship together. And they were told they had to sit in the back, sit in the balcony, or they couldn't worship. You know, I think there's um, the, probably the most influential Christian movement in the world right now is Pentecostalism that was born in 1920s in Azusa, uh, was led by a black man and a white man. And, and even the reporters were shocked and they said, like, man, the color line doesn't exist here until they did. And it split that movement. Right. Um, so I do think God has tried other times to bring us together. And my hope is that will we recognize and realize that the same dream that God gave to Isaiah and Jeremiah is the same revelation that God gives to, to um, John. And it's, it's this same work that Jesus has on earth as it is in heaven. So for me is what is the work that we have to do to truly be reconciled? You know, we can, we can really, really try to figure out where are ways that we're walking in the wrong direction? What are ways that our loyalty is more to America than to our sister and brother? What are ways that our loyalty is more to the blood that, that flows in our veins rather than the blood that flowed on Calvary's tree? Because the blood that flows on Calvary's tree says, all of us are not only made in the image of God, but all of us are brothers and sisters. And I think that we as the American church have not truly believed in God's reconciliation and worked for God's reconciliation. And I think it's time, and I'm hoping in this moment, that we can listen to Jesus on earth as it is in heaven, that we can stop dreaming of heaven and realize that Jesus says the kingdom is here and it's coming. Um, and I hope that we can walk in that truth that like, when we get to heaven, it's going to be a multicultural. And I think one of the probably three things that keeps me in America, one's my wife, <laughs> two's my wife. And the third thing is this, I think America affords us a unique opportunity to be multicultural. You know, like if the five of us went back to my native Liberia and planted the church, 
Joseph, Jenny, and Carolyn will be the multiculturalism, you know? But if the five of us pick any town in America, any town right now, as the country becomes more and more diverse, we will have access to more diversity. So I think that's the picture of the kingdom. That's what heaven looks like. Like, I don't think when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, all right, Bishop Hilliard, you and your black family go over there. Hank, ah, you kind of got both. So you're going to be in between. And then Carolyn, Joseph, and Jenny, you're going to be on that side. Like, I don't think that's what it looks like, right? So why do our churches look like that? Why do our dinner tables look like that? Why do our friendships look like that? Um, I love the passage that Carolyn read. I think that's God's hope. But I think that we're ambassadors and called to do the ministry of reconciliation, which is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. So let's get to work. Jenny, do you have any closing thoughts? I think that for us to move forward, in my personal opinion, I think we have to make a choice to move forward. I think there are people that want to move forward. And I think there are people that don't. Mm. Um, there are people that like being angry. I'm just going to be honest with you. There are people, white and black, both sides. They, oh, they like oh. being, it, it's a comfortable thing. It's a comfort. Um, I think we have got to get in our word and not continually try to make the Bible fit our personal narrative. Um, the word of God was given to us as a guide. The law was given to us to possess our promises. That's the whole reason God gave them the law was not to go to heaven. It never said about going to heaven. It was, this is how you're going to possess your land. This is how you're going to keep your land. And, um, you know, we, we try to fit it into our personal narrative so very often. Um, and I think we can't do that as believers. We have to continually stand on the word, um, fully on the word of God. I think we need to recognize in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, we're told on the day of judgment, we're going to give an account for every idle word we speak. We need to remember that was Jesus that said that. And that that's, you know, I, I know people go, oh, you know, hey, it's Jesus, he's like this warm lollipop guy. You know, Jesus, like Hank was saying earlier, said some pretty firm things. And I think we're forgetting some of the things um, that he said, you know, the, the firmness that if you have hatred in your heart against your brother, you've already murdered them. So are we actually examining that in ourselves? Are we mm -hmm. doing the same things that the cops did in God's eyes by the very mere fact that we have hatred? And that we can't move on from okay. our hatred. Are we holding on to past offenses? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil things. It rejoices with the truth. It always hopes. It always trusts. It always perse perseveres. Do we read that scripture and take it to heart? Or do we just go, oh, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Is the word the word of God for us as pastors or is it not? Or is it just something we go, well, it doesn't fit right now. It's cultural Christianity if you don't want to make it apply 100%. We've got to look at this word in the fullness. And I'm very, I'm very impassioned right now about us not mudslinging. I'm very impassioned right now about us getting into the word because the word is going to be the only thing that's going to heal us. The word and, and, and prayer, yes, conversations and talking. But I, I'm I, the reason I'm fired up is because, Bishop, when you mentioned those crosses burning on the lawn, it didn't surprise me one bit. I said last week there's going to be a rise in the KKK. I said it. I knew what there was going to be. I know what's going to happen. And not just because I do have a prophetic gift. I know this is going to happen because what white people are hearing is you suck. You're this. And I'm telling you, white people are going to run to the other side. And I hate to say I'm not going to, but I know the weakness of man. 
And I, I am afraid of that. There's a fear in me that says when we're so close, you know, the Torah portions for this weekend are, and I've shared those with you before, the Torah portions this weekend are right before they enter the promised land. We're in Numbers chapter uh, eight through 12. And you know, Numbers chapter 13 was right when they went to the promised land. What happened right before in chapter 12, before they got on the outskirts of the promised land, Moses and Aaron rose up against, I'm sorry, Joshua and Aaron rose up against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman that he married. Racism came to the surface right before the breakthrough, right before Ooh. the amazing right before they possessed the promise, right before they walked in Trump and into the promised land, racism reared its ugly head, but it was at a source. The source of that was rebellion against a leadership. And I'm seeing this in our country. There's this rebellious thing. And if it's not put under the cap of the Holy Spirit, it will not bring us unification. It will further divide us. That is why we as leaders have continually have got to be bringing people back to reminding them that yes, as Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 says, be angry at sin. Be angry. Be angry at sin, immorality, injustice, and ungodly behavior, but do not sin. If we condone sin as pastors, just because somebody's angry, we are breaking the laws of God because we're telling people, do not be angry. You know, do not do this unless, do not steal unless you're angry. Do not do this unless you're angry. Do not sin. Do not let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down, as I mentioned, and do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger, harboring resentment and cultivating bitterness. That's Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 and 27. I'm impassioned because yes. I know that we are not going to see the change that is necessary if we continue to divide us. Guys, there was not, it was not accidental that this all broke out on Pentecost weekend. That was planned by the enemy. That was purposed by the enemy because unity is what's going to take us into the promised land. And so he used this opportunity to divide us and we have got to fight. We have got to fight and we've got to strive as pastors and as leaders to continually bring unification if we want to see the next big outpouring of the holy spirit we've all heard prophesied i've got so much more i could even say about it but yeah. i believe we are on the brink of that but we can miss it just like the israelites missed walking into the promised land if we don't behave in the right fashion so that old thing waving racism right before a promise that's all that goes back thousands of years. So let's keep our head in the word of God, not somebody's opinion, not what somebody thinks or says. Let's get back as leaders into the word and lead other people. I'm done. I'm getting off my pulpit. <laughs> well, I wanted to close today with some things that stood out to me in our discussion. First, I can certainly acknowledge how from generation to generation we've made progress but I love how you described it as a residue because those lingering effects don't just go away. But then I, I love that we talked about the spectrum of racism because it's not all these big things like burning crosses or, or big displays. It's those little things like the grocery store, any implicit biases or comfortable that we might have, you know, like we're used to. And of course you feel comfortable with the people or things that you know but we have to be aware of them so we know when we might be using them to hurt someone else, knowingly or unknowingly. And of course, we talked about renewing our mind, and I know we're going to talk more about that on this show, so stay tuned for that. But we also talked about hope, and I think we still have to remain in hope to keep our mind right. And so to that effect, I want to read a scripture to close us out and say goodbye for the day. 
Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. We'll see you next time on The Full Life. We can't wait to continue this conversation and so many important conversations. We'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you all for being a part of this. God bless.